Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. This week's episode is going to be a short and sweet history lesson on why we call bond interest payments coupon payments, as well as what zero coupon bonds are. So stick around. You're listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast, where we take the Wall Street bull by the horns to help you achieve your financial goals. Whether it's budgeting, investing, or financial independence, we tackle the big questions in the pursuit of financial literacy. And now, your host. Alrighty, everyone, and this is, of course, Alex, your host, and let's get into interest payments. For those that might have missed episode 14 on bonds, purchasing a bond is loaning a company or government money at a preset interest rate. Throughout the life of the bond, you're going to receive interest payments every so often, sometimes once a year, sometimes twice a year, it depends on the individual bond, and you'll receive the principal of the bond, or rather the principal on your loan, at the end of the bond's term. The word for the interest payments that you receive are coupon payments, but most don't know why they're called that. Well, it's a leftover term from before computers simplified basically everything in finance. When you bought a bond in the age before the internet, you received a large engraved paper bond. Attached to these bonds were bits of paper that were easily removable. Think perforated edges or like a tear here spot where you can easily cut out pieces from the bond. In fact, those bonds looked a lot like how certain people design flyers where you see something like for guitar lessons, call this number. And then at the bottom of the flyer, there are pull tabs that say guitar lessons and the phone number. So that way you don't have to write down the phone number. You just kind of tear it off, throw it in your pocket, and you're good for later. It's a lot like that. Before computers, companies and governments had no idea who they owed money to because these paper bonds could be traded between investors. And the entity would never really know because the bonds were not yet digital. So you would have a main body of the bond, which would have all the details of the bond, you know, the term, how far it's going to go from this date to this date, the interest rate, how often payments are paid, and then each pull tab would have a date, a serial number, and the required payment. So if it's a five-year bond, you might have nine pull tabs for each date with which they're going to receive interest. And then, of course, they'd send back the original bond to get back their principal. So the system that developed was that you would purchase the bond, and when it was time for you to receive an interest payment, you would tear off the tab that had the current date or the date for which you needed to be paid, throw it in a letter, mail it to that company or government agency, whoever issued the bond, and then they would mail you a check in the amount of your payment or what you were owed. And if you just had multiple bonds, you would just tear out all the coupons that were valid, and then you just throw them in a letter, mail it, and you'd receive a check for the total amount that you were owed. At the end of the bond term, you would mail back your original certificate, which would be a lot smaller now since you've torn off all the coupons and sent them in, and you would receive a check in the mail for the par value of the bond. And with this system in place, a company did not have to keep track of who they owed money to. As long as the company paid what was due every time they received either a bond certificate or a coupon in the mail, then it was fine. Everything was working. Since there was no record of who owned the bonds or when they were sold to other investors, they became known as bearer bonds because the only way to know who owned the bond was who physically had possession of the bond. Therefore, the bearer owned the bond. And this leads us to safe deposit boxes. If you're sitting on a stack of these bonds that are completely untraceable, there is no way for you to really put your name on it in any meaningful way, 
and it represents hundreds or even thousands of dollars for each of those pieces of paper, you might not want to have them stored under the mattress. So people started trusting their bonds to banks, and they would do that with safe deposit boxes. The modern ideal of a safe deposit box came to America in about the 1860s, and this is just where individuals would have their own box that was individually lockable within a bank's vault. So wealthy Americans decided that it would be a great idea to keep their bonds in a safe deposit box at their local bank. So that way it's not at your house if you get robbed. There's no way people are stealing thousands of dollars by just throwing a couple pieces of paper in a backpack. So when it got time to receive a payment, Americans could just go to their bank, tear off the coupons, walk right over to the post office, and then mail them off, and then they'd receive a check in the mail. Eventually, the use of safe deposit boxes where bonds got to be so prevalent that banks started offering cashing services for coupons, much like how they'd cash a check. As an investor, you could go to your local bank, go to your safe deposit box, tear off the coupons for the date that it was time to get paid for, go into the line to go talk to a teller, and then deposit that money into your account. What would end up happening is that the bank would collect all the coupons that they've gotten and then mail them off together to the various bond issuers, and then they would just receive checks addressed to the bank. And that money would just reimburse the bank for the money that they had already put into their customers' accounts. Meanwhile, they were making money off this service by charging the bondholders a fee for the safe deposit box. So they might have a specific size safe deposit box for bonds, and they could make their money that way. This arrangement worked really well because bondholders never needed to really wait for a check because they could go and get the money deposited in their account the same day and not have to worry about they mailed off a coupon, it takes a few days for it to mail, it takes a few days for maybe the organization to process it, a few days for them to write the check and send it back. Instead, someone could just deposit it at the bank, the bank has to deal with the time lag, which doesn't really matter because they're a bank, and then the money's just deposited in their account right then and there. Everything's taken care of for them. And for the bank, it was fine because they were making additional fees for providing this service. And so that's really how we get the term coupon payments and coupon rates, because it used to be a physical coupon that came off of the bond that you would just mail in and get your money. But what about a zero coupon bond? Well, a zero coupon bond is a very specific kind of bond, and it's called that because there are no interest payments made over the entire life of the bond. So the question you might have is, well, how do I make money off of my loan, which that's what bonds are, they're loans, how do I make money off my loan if there's no interest paid out to me? Well, the answer is really quite simple. The purchase price for a zero coupon bond is just about always less than the par value of the bond. So what that means is that you could purchase a one-year, zero-coupon, $1,000 par value bond for $950. In effect, you're spending $950 to purchase the bond, and then you'll receive $1,000 in 12 months. So in buying that bond, you earned $50, or a 5.3% return. So even though you didn't receive any interest, or you didn't receive a payment or a coupon or have to worry about mailing it, well, you still got a return because you got back more than you paid. Typically, you'll see zero-coupon bonds as being very short-term, typically less than two years, but they can go out as long as they want, as long as they can find people that'll buy it for the terms that they want to do. Remember that those terms are set up up front, and they don't usually change once the bonds are issued. So as long as they can find people, they can have a 20-year zero-coupon bond as long as people will buy them. 
And that's really the difference between zero coupon bonds and regular bonds. You just make all your money on buying the bond at a discount and not receiving interest payments. And with that, we're going to go ahead and close out the show. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. I know there wasn't much actionable material today, but I think that having some historical context with some of these finance terms and the systems may make understanding them a little bit easier, even in an age where we have computers that make all this stuff happen in an instant. I'm also a fan of studying history, so I think an episode like this from time to time can be quite interesting, not just for me to make, but for you guys to enjoy. So I went online and I found several examples of what old-time bonds used to look like, as well as their attached coupons, so you can really see what the whole thing looked like. So I'll be sharing some of those pictures on the show's Twitter account by the time this episode comes out. I will also have some links in the description so you guys can go and see them directly. In terms of current events, I'm currently speaking with a registered investment advisor to see if I can't get him on the show for an interview. So if you guys have any questions that you would like me to ask or concepts you would like me to ask about or some kind of question that you would like for a registered investment advisor to answer, go ahead and send that over to me. You can either shoot me an email at MainStreetFinance at gmail.com. Feel free to shoot me a tweet or a DM on Twitter at MainStreetMoney. Or if you're watching on YouTube, feel free to just leave a comment below. If you do any or all of the above, I'll be sure to get it. And as always, thank you so much for listening to the show. Be sure to share if you think others might like the content, and please be sure to leave a review. More reviews helps the show get recognized by the various platforms that the show is listed on, and it lets other listeners know that I'm here providing good content for you guys every week. And with that being said, I'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast. Have a question on today's topics or have suggestions for future episodes? Send an email to mainstfinance at gmail.com. Sharing is caring, so if you learned something new and useful today, make sure you share with friends and family. Don't forget to like and subscribe to be notified of new episodes. For demonstrations and more examples, be sure to check out the YouTube channel. We'll see you next time.